Well, hello and a very warm welcome to a very special edition of the Star Owls podcast. I'm Alex Miller and joining me today is a big figure from Wednesday's history, over 100 appearances for the Owls, 24 caps for Northern Ireland, later to become a manager of over a 1,000 games, including, of course, a spell at Sheffield Wednesday, which was interesting to say the least, and we'll touch on that and a hell of a lot more as we get going. A very warm welcome and thanks for joining us to Danny Wilson. Danny, how are you doing? Yes, I'm very good, Alex. Thank you. Good stuff. Thanks uh, for joining us. We are, of course, here uh, in part, you know, obviously the uh, the, the welcome uh, of uh, our conversation is around the fact that you have released in the last few weeks your book, I Get Knocked Down. Talk us through that process, Danny. Why now um, and why do you feel that now's the time to tell your story? Well, it's, it's never a time, really. There was never a time chosen for it. It was, um, it was something that came a little bit out of the blue. Um, I've been approached on, on numerous occasions over years to, to put something in writing because of one or two things that happened throughout your career and people want to know about it straight away. And and I'm, I'm not that type of person, really, Alex. I'm, I'm fairly private in that respect. And uh, I don't go I don't go to the uh, the media and and, um, and spill my heart out there. So it was never really an issue with me. But um, I got talking, I got to know a couple of lads um, that um, that worked for Morgan Lawrence, uh, Matthew Mann, who's the, the ghostwriter for me. Um, and um, and they just they, they sat down together and we had a good chat on a couple of occasions. Um, and and Barry Peer pointed to the other guy who used to be chief executive up at um, Leicester City. And they just said, it's a different story, Dan, and uh, why don't you do it? I said, well, you know, it's not really me. And they said, well, take another angle of it and, and maybe just do it for your family and maybe a keepsake later on for your grandchildren. And bear in mind, we've just had two new grandchildren. I thought, you know, that's not a bad idea, really. So we uh, we sat down as a family. Um, one or two of the, the stories the kids had not heard. Um, and certainly the grandchildren won't have a clue what I did. Like, you know, they'll just see me in a football kit and, or a shirt and tie. Like, so th- that was really the, the reason the reason alone. You'll have uh, got a few of our listeners, no doubt, feeling a little bit old that Danny Wilson's got grandchildren now. Um, yeah. But yeah, time moves on as we know. <laughs> so we're going to do things a little bit differently. Listeners to the podcast will know we've done this a couple of times. We're going to move through. Danny's 1-11, to so his dream Sheffield Wednesday side from, of course, his two spells, once highly successful. Danny, of course, was one of the heroes of the Rumbelows Cup win in 1991 and everything that followed. And, of course, his time as a manager with some uh, truly iconic players in that side in the uh, the last stages of Wednesday's Premier League era. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll pick up some stories, some tales from Danny's experiences as a Sheffield Wednesday legend. Um, as we go on through those players. So first of all, Danny, I think we'll start with a manager. So obviously you only had two uh, managers during your time as a Wednesday player. You were the manager, of course, in your second spell at Wednesday. You, hey, you can choose yourself, but but talk <laughs> us through who your, uh, who your manager of your 1-11 to will be. I don't think I'd be appropriate, so I'll move on to the other two. Um, well, I, I mean, it could, it could have been either one of them, really, because I thought, you know, the both managers um, that I'm going to mention now were... Were excellent in their own right, you know. Uh, one an experienced one, one maybe not so much, but uh, but legends in their own in their own careers. And the first one, obviously, is uh, Trevor Francis. Um, Trevor, I was lucky enough to play with Trevor and be be um, um, uh, I can say I shared um, shared the rooms with him, a, a roommate when we we went away, and got to know Trevor really well. And Helen, you know, God bless her soul, unfortunately she passed away, but. Helen as well, you know, his wife and, and my wife got on really well. So, um, and Trevor did 
remarkably well when he got it came into the job. You know, he um, he had a very unlucky time really the second second season, I think it was. <clears throat> um, but overall, I thought he brought some some bright and new great ideas and some very good players as well. Um, but the first one, the, the the one that I have to go for is Big Ron. Um, he might touch a few nerves because of the situation in which he left with, but um, overall, he was a fantastic manager. He was um, such a motivator, um, brilliant in 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 how he spoke to you. You know, in uh, he was well a bit like in the Clough type of mould where he just say a few words to you and and you felt ten foot tall, and you wanted to go and play for him. But he also wanted to play in a certain style, and, and I think it suited the, the squad of players he put together. Tell us about how he, um, <coughs> Richie Barker, I believe you worked with previously, hadn't you? Yeah. Managed to convince you to sign for Wednesday, because obviously you were at Luton, you'd had great success there, an icon at Luton, but they were obviously a division higher and Wednesday had just been relegated. Well, yeah, it was it was a it was a strange situation that developed. Really, we um, we were in um, in Spain and we just finished the season. Unfortunately, Sheffield Wednesday had just been relegated on the last day, and um, Luton had stayed up. So, really, we had a bit of a you know a, a part of, to play in that, and uh, we're both in the same place in uh, in Spain. Uh, I didn't think for one minute that you know Sheffield Wednesday would go down. I think everybody thought it would be Luton, and um, and then Nottingham Forest had a great result in the last game of the season in their favour, but a bad one in Sheffield Wednesday's favour. And um, we went to, to Derby and we beat Derby at Derby, which was a big result for us. But um, So we were celebrating and I think really Sheffield Wednesday were there to have a little bit of a, a break after the end of the season staying in the league. But it, it turned out to be quite the opposite and a little bit um, a little bit of a down type of, of holiday for them. But over there, when we were over there, I talked to Big Ron. I spoke to, to Richie, like you say. I knew Richie before. And, uh, and Richie was an unsung hero, really, Sheffield Wednesday as well. You know, I want to mention Richie as well because he was he was a tough nut, but he knew his onions, you know, and um, he was a great foil for Ron. Um, he, he could be tough and tough talking to you. Didn't didn't mind what he said to you. If you, if you needed to tell, he'd tell you. And I liked that in Richie. Uh, but he didn't know his, you know, he knew his stuff. So we got talking over there and the next minute, you know, they could, we come back home and they approached Luton and, and the rest is history, so they say. Did you expect, obviously, the players came in, um, yourself and Paul Williams, I think it was, wasn't it, as the, the sort of the, the bigger name signings initially in that summer. Did, did you expect that season to be quite as iconic as it, it became? Um, well, I think if you look if you looked at the the squad, then it was not, wasn't a surprise, so to speak, but you know you've got a big season in front of you. And I think from that point of view, you don't... Um, I don't think you, you really... Um, know what's going to happen in the long term you know but you hope and you pray that that, that something successful will will um, be around the corner but a lot of work has to go into into the, the season before that but when you look at the squad he was quite capable on paper but like we say we see lots of teams like that in paper but never really deliver tell us a little bit more about your experience with Ron Atkinson obviously he's a he's a fated character um, with, with all sorts of stories, is there an example really that sticks out in terms of his man management or anything that he did that was a, a little bit different to what you expect from normal football managers? Um, I don't think it was anything really different. I think he, what he did, he, he surrounded himself with with fairly experienced players, which was, uh, I think, Ron's style. I don't think Ron particularly wanted to have 18-year-olds in the squad or 17-year-old boys who've got to learn the trade. You know, it was a big season for us and we had to hit the ground running. So, I think Ron just decided that, you know, he wanted an experienced team. And in doing so, 
he didn't really have to look after the lads too much. You know, he guided us, of course he did. Um, and everybody needs that. But, um, you know, but I think overall, I just think he let us get on with things. Um, you know, he, he knew what our needs were sometimes. And if he was getting a bit tough or, or getting a bit tense, then he'd, he'd, he'd relax us and take us to the pub for a pint or something like that. You know, just to get us relaxed. And he did that before the cup final when uh, when we beat Man United. You know, he, he was absolutely masterstroke in what he did. And you know, we relaxed him before the game with comedians, taking us out on for a meal and and for a few drinks, just to get us into into that mood where we didn't have a fear for anybody. And um, and that was like run all over. He could do that all the scene. He could sense things, which was which was you know in itself a a, a great trait. Um, and certainly from his point of view, he, he, he managed it very, very well. Great stuff. Right, we'll get into the nitty-gritty then, Danny. Uh, you're 1-11. to 11. <clears throat> told you uh, you've sort of prepped a little bit. Are we going for a, a certain formation here? or? Um, I think we're going for a 4-3-3-ish. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's be it. You know, but, but with this team that I'm going to mention, they could play anywhere, by the way. Yeah, so yeah. A few, a few genius players in there, absolutely no doubt. So, yeah, we might as well kick off with uh, the goalkeeper. A few to choose from, some Wednesday icons in there. Who have you gone for? Well, goalkeeper has to be has to be from from when I played actually with um, with Chrissy Woods. Chrissy Woods came in, um, you know, came from with a with a fantastic reputation, you know, England international, and I think that was the the type of thing that you know that Trevor wanted to. To put together, you know, have have that type of of uh, uh, of signing, it would make everybody look up and take notice. And um, and Chris was that, you know. Chris came in, great lad, absolute brilliant lad, no edge to him whatsoever. Um, but in his ability in the goals was was fantastic, agile, brave. Um, you know, he could distribute very very well. So he, you know, he fitted into the the squad without a without any well, so so seamless. It was untrue. You, you think he was there for years. So, Chris, you've got my vote. How much of an impact did his signing, there were one or two big signings that, that Trevor made early doors, how much of an impact did that have on you as players? Did it give you sort of the, the boost that you thought you needed? Yeah, of course you did. I mean, if you can sign players like that and you're coming into your team and you're going to be playing with them, or you hope you're going to be playing with them, if you if you up your um, your game, and which we had to do, um, yeah, they were, they were fantastic. They were really, really good. And and what comes with that, obviously, is, is, is the media... Um, sure that it's so to speak. Whereas you know you, you'd be, you'd have more of a of um, a showing on the TVs or the newspapers and more coverage because you have these players in your team. You know, and um, if you were playing well as well, I suppose it, it, it would rub off on you. I suppose it's a uh, and, and we'll, this will happen a number of times as, as we go through the team here. But some big names that you could have gone for: Kevin Pressman, Chris Turner, obviously in the the Rumble side, and then. As manager, I'm thinking pa- Pavel Cernicek. You, you managed to bring yeah. in um, certainly some some big iconic names that have been missed out there. So you're four at the back. Let's go with a, uh, a right back, Danny. Well, like I said, I just want to touch on that as well. You know, it could have been anybody, but I've got a lot of I've got lots of um, players that you know it seems like they're overlooked, but they're not. It's just you know you have to pick one, don't you? And uh, I think Chris got the shout there. You were right in the other ones. They were, they were fantastic keepers and. And Chrissy, you know, in, in in particular, Chrissy Turner, you know, was was absolutely magnificent at, in the time that we were there. Um, but yeah, but Chris got the nod. Uh, the back four, well, we'll start with the right back. Um, I would suggest that you're quite understanding why I said this, and I think you'll guess it more than anything. A lot of players that could have played there, but um, 
for me, there was only the one, the Rolls Royce himself, uh, and that was um, Roland Nielsen. Uh, Roland, you know, he just he just never ever looked stressed at all in any games that I played with him. Um, you know, he was 100% up and down the the the, um, the touchline, whether it be defending or attacking. <clears throat> you know, and uh, and and to top it all, he was a good-looking so and so as well, so that made it even worse. <laughs> but uh, it was great. No, Roland was a, was a top top quality international. Um, brilliant to play with, uh, always had your back, you know, and um, and I think from that point of view, he, he's, he's a standout player. And the two of you worked together quite closely ahead of the, the Rumblos final on. There's a lot of talk, wasn't there, about, about Lee Sharp and, and all the rest of it. And <coughs> you two were credited with, with keeping him quiet and going some way to, to winning the final for Wednesday. Well, he, well, if he played a little part, then great, you know, but, uh, but certainly Roland, you know, was under a, a great bit of, a great lot of threat from from Sharpie, you know, he was um, he was he was the in thing at that time, you know, having a great season, um, still only a young boy as well, and a massive threat to us, you know, and uh, we had to we had to try and curb him somewhat, and between us, I think we we did a decent job on him, but you know, Roland was against him most of the time, um, I was just around the time to help him out when when needed. Fantastic. Let's go for your centre halves then, Danny. Um, this is it's a difficult one. This one, I, I had Peter Shercliffe down at, at one minute because I thought Peter was absolutely fantastic in in that respect. He he was so calm and calculated. He could step out into midfield. He could play. He could compete. Um, really, really, you know, top class player. Um, and it's between him and Viv Anderson. And, and Viv possibly in his pomp would have been at right back. Um, but I got I went for Viv really because he was a top top player. You know, he'd uh, play for England, as you know, as a first black player. Um, he'd had a fantastic career at Forest with European Cup success and league success. So, so Viv went in there. Um, when, he, when he was in his pomp, he was an absolute gazelle. You know, there was, there was not many could stay with him. You know, six foot three and he, he moved, you know, he, he moved like, well, so quick. It was, it was amazing. Um, so I went for Viv really as well. And, and I think I'm a bit biased because he's a big mate of mine as well. And uh, I was going to say, I know, I know you're still great pals, aren't you? Yeah, we are very much so. And um, but but he was, you know, he was in there on merit and uh, strong. Um, as I say, he could play, he could step out and play because he was a fullback in, in his younger days. The only problem he had, he was in training when he thought he was a striker in five sides. He was absolute <laughs> garbage. And don't let him ever tell you he wasn't. Tell you he was garbage, but he just stand on the goal line and tap him in. But um, we're great lad, yeah. So Viv went in uh, in one of the positions, uh, and the other one I've asked to be, you know, Captain Marvel for me. Um, he epitomised us as a team really at that time, as a, as a club at that time, where I think we he, he would go through a brick wall for us, and that's Nigel Pearson. Uh, great leader, um, terrific captain, uh, had it for three years or so, something like that. And um, never once would I ever say let anybody down, you know. Um, always put himself up front, uh, you know, in front of of, uh, of anything that was going on, you know. He took responsibility whatever he did, and uh, so Nigel, he was the, the his partner uh, at the heart of the defence. How uh, how colossal was he? He was he was man of the match, wasn't he? In the in the Rumblows Cup final, um, and and in that run, I think he scored sort of five goals, didn't he, on on the yeah. way to. To that final, I mean that season in particular, and then obviously moving into the uh, the first division season. Just just how key was he to everything that that Ron and, and latterly Trevor put together at Wednesday? Well, he, he, you know, we held us together at the back. I mean, you, if you look at the, the the plays that we did have, you know, we've um, we've not come to the left back yet, but we had 
We had um, Kingy and Nigel Worthington, etc. You know, Roland Nielsen on the other side. You could, you know, both sides going forward. We had another defender, either it be Pete Shirkliff or Viv, who step in. You know, we but we needed defenders as well. But Nigel was always was always there, so reliable. You know that um, you know if he was the last man in there, you know, from his point of view, that he'd do his, his level best to, you know, to shore up the the defence until he got help. So um, it was great. It was great to have behind you. You never even you never turned around and, and looked where he was. You, you always knew where he was, and uh, he'd be at the centre there and he'd be organising, um, giving you rollickings now and again, which we, we all expected. But um, yeah, he was he was so reliable in that respect. Great stuff. Go well, then. You mentioned it there. A fight, I think, at left back. Who have you gone for there? Um, well, we know what Phil King can do. I mean, Kingy was. The, in fact, the relationship between Kingy and Nigel, one could play in front or behind either way. It didn't really matter. Uh, they had a great rapport with each other, uh, fa- fantastic understanding. And they must have created 50, 60, 70 percent of, of the goals that we scored. If it ever came from a wide area, it was, it was you know, one of those two. Um, Kingy was a little bit more attack minded than, than, uh, than Nigel. Nigel more defensive side of it, but still could get forward. Um, Nigel was, was a, a little bit. More feisty, as I say, in the tackle than Kingy. Um, but both in themselves, very difficult to choose. But I've gone for Nigel um, simply because of his international experience. Again, you know, he's um, he's played in World Cups. He's played in on the big stage uh, over his career. Um, and he very, very rarely let us down. You know, he was so, you know, seven, eight, eight, eight to ten every week. Um, and I think that's just got him the edge on, on Kingy. You mentioned Phil King there. One of the things about that that night, early nineties guy, it's obviously famed for stuff that maybe the team got up, up to off the pitch. It was a it was a close knit team, and uh, fair to say the team liked a few beers, shall we say? Yeah. Um, how big a part of it was Kingy? Who, who were the real big uh, ringleaders when it came to that sort of thing? Well, Kingy was Kingy, Kingy was a, such a funny man, and I'm, I'm sure if you've met him recently or whatever you in that since he finished. Um, when I went down to Swindon and managed at Swindon, King, uh, Phil was there. He was in the corporate upstairs, and he used to have everybody in, in tux. You know his stories; he could he could tell or whatever. He was he was a real character, was Kingy. So yes, he was he was one of us up there. But we we had a dressing room full of them, by the way. You know, we Alex, we um, I, I, you can't really put your put your finger on one in particular. You know, we, they all had the little. Um, the little ways about themselves, which would make people laugh or do something that would be a bit silly, but but never never overstep the mark. That's that's a good thing about us. We never, you know, we never um, we never embarrassed anybody to the to the extreme in, in in that respect. But we would have a bit of fun, and we the same we went out. You know, we'd never um, we'd never get ourselves into any sort of bother of this and the other. But we we just laugh all night, and that's where the dressing room was. All four of those players obviously involved in, in one way or another in the 91 season. Just just talk me through your your big memories of that, that Rumbelows Cup final. Obviously, the promotion was achieved as well. Um, but it's such an iconic day for, for Sheffield Wednesday. And, and the, the side remains the last team from outside the top tier to win a major trophy in this country. Well, it was, yeah. I mean, it was, um, I, I, as I said before, I think, you know, the, the squad on paper was, was as good as anything you would see, certainly in the... The championship as it is now, um, and I think when people looked round and looked at us, I think we were, we were, you know, odds on favourites to go up um, after coming being relegated. But whilst we were in that league, you know, we we had a big, a big, big um, uh, task in which to try and get back. But 
you know, I think it was a little bit, how can I say, uh, um, easy that we, we had some good, very good ties that we were leading up to the the, uh, the Manchester United game. Um, not ties that I said they're, they're easy to get through, but easier on paper. And uh, we got through them, got through them, and all of a sudden it was a, a nice distraction to have. Fantastic distraction for the fans, by the way. It was absolutely magnificent, you know, the, the support we were getting, um, not just in the league games, but certainly in the cup games as well. And then, you know, to top it all off, or you know, we, we end up getting to Wembley and, and having a showcase final against Man United. You obviously scored one of the big goals against uh, against Chelsea. I think when we've spoken before, you said that's the one of the loudest you've ever heard a, a football stadium. Just talk us through the uh, the atmosphere that night. Well, it was great. I mean, I think I think lots of, of times when you see you know domestic football in particular and, and domestic cups, when you get you know a team that was never never really expected to get to a Wembley final, um, you know, there's that added, added extra enthusiasm, and um, and that's what we had. You know, the big teams, you know, have half expected United of this world, Liverpool, etc. You know, and uh, the fans half expected, although, you know, they'll still enjoy it, but, they, you know, maybe not as vociferous as our fans were on the day because it was, you know, waiting such a long time to get back there again. And um, and so the noise was, was absolutely intense. It was absolutely brilliant. Let's move on to your midfield then. You said it's a, a three of sorts. Um Let's see how you get on with these uh, with these three. You've got plenty to choose from again, haven't you? Well, I have, yeah, and um, I think uh, you know through very very difficult choices. In, in fairness, again, um, one that, that that was in my mind was very underestimated um, outside of the football club. That is, um, but you'll guess who I'm going to talk about. His his engine was absolutely phenomenal. Um, it could pass. Passed the ball very well. He could create. Um, he could defend. He could get forward. You know, but his um, his all round midfield abilities were fantastic, and that was that was Carlton CP. You know, Carlton Palmer was. Um, I suppose a lot of people outside of our of our football club or the clubs that he played for didn't really appreciate him until they had him in their team, and uh, and that's a sign of a good player. But he was very respected within the football fraternity. That's for sure because he was such a difficult opponent, and. Um, Kelton did a little bit like I did at times, where you know he get in, he go and get the ball and fetch it and give it, and you know let the more talented players play with it. But in his own um, in his own uh, diminutive way, he could stride past players like they weren't there. He's such a great striding him, and getting from A to B was fantastic. He could get us up the pitch on his own, you know, with with three long strides, and we he, he were up there, so he turned the pressure off us straight away. So that's why Kelton was in. Well, why do you think he was sort of given that? I remember growing up and, and hearing about Carlton Palmer and he obviously got his 18 caps for England, but I can't remember who said it. There's there's always that quote that knocks about saying he was one of the worst players to play for England, all, all that sort of ridiculous stuff. And and as you say, he had such a big impact with the with the clubs that he did play for. Yeah. Well, why do you think he was handed that tag? For people who don't know, people who don't know him, that's what it is. And people have an opinion of people that they don't know and... Uh... Until you get to know these these types of players, or you watch these players on a regular basis, and you listen to people who know what they're talking about, you know, then um, then you'll have a better idea of the character of the player and the ability of the player. Unfortunately, these these remarks or these opinions, you know, from people who just don't who just not understand what a, what a good player that Kelton was. Yeah, certainly hugely appreciated at, at Sheffield Wednesday and. So still around the club, still comments on the club and, and plays a close interest in Sheffield Wednesday. Who have you got in midfield with him, Danny? Um, I've got Shez 
obviously, John Sheridan. He is the, the, the master the master passer in in my opinion. Um Shez is as funny as he is and he'd, he'd just talk to me and CP or it would be John Harks in midfield maybe at certain times, whoever it may be, and and he'd always just say, Hey Chris Packets, just get me the ball. <laughs> and it and basically just you know, he calls Chris Packets in the wind and we go everywhere, fly around everywhere, and then just get him the ball and give it to him. <laughs> and, but we were more than happy to do that because his, his quality on the ball was was absolutely magnificent. He could put a ball on a sixpence for you. And uh, he must have been a, a striker's dream because some of the balls that, that the, the, the lads who, who played up front with him at, uh, at any given time, you know, would, uh, would have service that they, they couldn't believe. And... Um, and that's why Shez was there as well, and 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 not only that as well, you know, he was he was a feisty so and so as well, you know, he he was a, he was a tough cookie as well. He didn't, um, he wasn't a shrinking violet whatsoever. He could put his foot in with the best of them, you know, and um, but that wasn't his main asset, obviously. But it it was still part of his um, his makeup. Can you remember the moment that, that ball hit the post, went in the back of the net in '91? I can hear it now. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, can, I, I can hear the thud now. Yeah, I can hear it. It was such um, velocity. It was absolutely fantastic, and um, you know, and, and something fully deserved. You know, what a what a strike from that distance as well to beat a quality keeper of uh, of the ilk who was in there. Who's in the three with those two? Then obviously those two were an iconic pairing in in Wednesday's midfield. Who, who's with them? Well, there's one that might surprise you really. It's um, and, I, and and this is only because I. Watching him, he's, he's somebody that I didn't play with. I wish I'd have played with him, uh, but somebody that um, for me was as close as you'd get, if not maybe better in his day than Chez, and that was Vim Young. Uh, Vim Young, you know, two World Cups from his point of view, a captain, and but we never saw the best of him really. We, we saw we saw glimpses of him. We, we saw bits and bobs of him. I saw him before he came to Sheffield Wednesday, but um, unfortunately, we didn't. We never we never saw the consistency that. We're getting remotely near to Shez, but I think we would have done if, if um, if we'd have seen him in the team more injuries and, and what have you, you know, um, stop that um, that that type of of run that we wanted him to have. But he was immense talent, great talent. You know, you, you don't get in um, in the Dutch side, you know, for eight years, ten years on the spin if you're not a, some sort of quality, and and, and that's what Bim did, and and captain them as well. He's the first player from your second stint, you know, your managerial stint at, at Wednesday. <coughs> just, just how difficult was that time? Obviously, it was sort of a hangover, maybe from from the early nineties and all the rest of it. What, what are your sort of overall reflections of your time as manager of the club? Um, very, very mixed. If I'm, if if, um, if you want it honestly, of course it was mixed. I mean, first season we come in, we were, they were struggling. The season before I came in, when I was at Barnsley. Uh, they just picked Burnsley to to stay up, and Burnsley went down. So they had a, a bit of a an in and out season that year, anyway. And uh, and when we came in, we we did okay-ish. I think we finished twelfth, thirteenth, something like that, in the first season. Which you know, uh, and when when we took over, I don't think that was expected. So that was a bit of you know a bit um, a bit sweeter than than happened in the second season, where you know we we just lost so many players. That's the thing, and never replaced them. The quality was never there. The, I didn't think at all that the um, a lot of oh, a lot of the players, some of the players wanted to be there anyway. So you've always got a problem there as well. And then there's a bickering upstairs, you know, which um, which never helps at any football club. I can only imagine. I mean, in, in terms of the the you mentioned their players that 
didn't necessarily want to be there. How difficult is that to to turn around? Do you know what I mean? If, if a manager comes in and you know there's players on on with months or, or years remaining on their contract, how much of a, a hamstring is that for for any manager? It's very very difficult as well, particularly if you if uh, you've been told from upstairs that you've got to get your wage bill down all the time and get money in, and there's nothing to replace them with. You know, so you know there's 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 a cash twenty two as you go along. You know, the players know through their agents, that they've been touted around, that people, you know, that the club wants to sell them. That doesn't board well for a player who's who wants to feel wanted. So um, you've got that problem straight away. You know, it's um, an amount, amount of the fault of, of the club itself. You know, if the club's skin, there's nothing you can do about it. That's, that's the way it goes. But you've still got to put a team out and you've still got to put a team out that can compete and and give 100% that the fans expect. And um, and that in itself was, was one of the hardest things that we had to do. You know, we, we had one or two good results, but we had a lot of bad results. Uh, but, you know, in between all that, there was a lot of unrest. And, and you know, I'll leave it where I said there. In terms of a, a few managers since, certainly managers that, that <laughs> I've spoken to in my time covering the club, you, you played for the club, so you, you had a appreciation already for the for the size and the expectation. Did it take you by surprise at all? The, the level of expectation, maybe from the fan base who, uh, who obviously expects certain things from Sheffield Wednesday and the size of the club or the, or the rest of it, did it take you surprise and was it more of a difficult job than even you anticipated? Well, it was more of a difficult job. Of course it was. It's different when you're playing as when, you, as when you're managing. You know, that's never, there's nothing like it when, you know, to, to compare. Um, you know, the, uh, the problems that you, that you encounter when you're a manager, you don't have that whatsoever when you're, when you're playing. You just dismiss and you go home to you know go to home to your family. Um, so yeah, it was a, you know, the expectation level was was possibly put in there because of the seasons that we had, possibly when we played with the, with the, with, this, with the, the quality of play that we had at that time. You know, so the fans want you know they wanted to to be in that mode again. They wanted to, you know, to go to cup finals etc. or win promotions or be be in the top three, four, five, six of the Premier League. You know, which they were for a few years. So um, the expectation was, from my point of view, wasn't a surprise, you know. But um, but when you haven't got the the uh, the pleasure disposal that you had in those times, it becomes far far diff- far far more difficult. I wanted to touch on as well, if uh, it's all right, and uh, this is all covered in, in far more detail, of course, in uh, in your book, which is out now, in all the uh, all the regular places that you'd uh, pick up a title from. Uh, January two thousand, you received the Manager of the Month award. And the uh, well-fated, of course, four MPs voiced their displeasure at, uh, at you continuing as manager of the club. Talk us through that. Where, where were you when you found out this is the case? Obviously, an absolutely extraordinary thing to happen. Um, unfair in the eyes of many. Where, where were you when you found out that had happened? What was your initial reaction? Well, what I found out when, I, when it happened, it was in the newspaper. You know that um, that was that was quite annoying as well. You know we um, we had board members there who who were showing uh, or, or talking you know, as if they were just a fan and they weren't. They were members of the board. This and that should have been discussed within you know the uh, the privacy of of, um, of board meetings or the privacy of my of my office. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't done. So um, that in itself let me down. You know I felt um, I felt very aggrieved at that, but. As I said to you before, with the media, you don't go bleating to the media. So we got out and we tried to get on with our job. And whatever was going on around us, we had to try and, or I had to try and dismiss it and, and just put it to one side because it wasn't doing anybody any good. 
you know, there was a manager as myself was still in the job and we had to try and get results. And while this was all flying around, it was making it even more difficult than it already was. So, um, yeah, so to say I was, I was annoyed is, is an understatement, really. But, but in football, you just get on with it. And that's what I did. And, um, and yet a lot of people showed their, their, um, their feelings about it as well, um, which, you know, it, it, uh, it was very supportive from my point of view. But ultimately, we had to get results. That was, that was a bottom line. You know, they only shut these people up is when you get results. And, um, and we didn't get enough results to shut them up. Did that fracas, that episode sort of sum up just the scale of the, of the job that you had on at Wednesday? You used the word unrest, I think. Is that sort of one thing that you can point to and go, you know, you, you had your, your hands tied behind your back a little bit? Well, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't go as far as to say that, you know, that was the, the, the ultimate problem. No, of course it wasn't. There's lots of things that personally I would have done differently, you know, given me myself going back into into Sheffield Wednesday as a manager now, you know, but um, I was like anybody else. I was young. I was inexperienced at, at, um, in that respect. You know, I don't make any bones about that. Um, but there was also um, areas where I, I could expect some help, which I didn't get. And, um, you know, there was lots of times when we tried to get hold of people that, you know, that we wanted to to ask questions, uh, you know, upstairs and we just couldn't get anybody. And that that's, that's what's frustrating about it more than anything is that, you know, when you... When you need a bit of help, you, you expect people to be there, but you know we didn't have them there enough. Let's move on then to your front three. I mean, some of the names here. I'm I'm excited to hear what you what you're about to say of them. But um, yeah, let's uh, let's go for it, Danny. Who's in your front three? Well, the first one that I'll I'll mention the first one is uh, um, absolute legend, and and you'll know what I talk about as well. Maybe we didn't see the best of uh, of him. His years might have been at other clubs where he was brilliant, but still, when he was there, he was magnificent. Trevor Francis, who, was, who went on to be a manager of the club, as you well know, um, you know his his, his cleverness, his, his his movements, his deft touches, his pace, a potential match winner in any game that you put him in. He used to change games as a sub when he came on, as as a sub when we played. Um, a lot of people, you know, will remember those, but. Overall, Trevor was a, a high-quality um, international player and and somebody that was a, was a fantastic um, role model to any any young pro, any senior pro as well. By the way, you know it, that uh, could see him because he lived his life properly. Um, he'd been over to Italy, obviously, and learned good habits over there. Brought him back with him um, and continued to have a long uh, uh, longevity in his career, and then went on to be the manager as well. And I thought. Trevor in himself was absolutely fantastic for for the club, for Big Ron at the time he was very good, um, and then for himself when he actually managed. Bit of a masterstroke from from Ron. It's been described to me a couple of times bringing him in. You, you touched on it there, sort of the good habits and all the rest of it. The the change room, as we've touched on, like to be a you know maybe maybe one or two didn't. I don't know. Not up to the modern standards, perhaps of of off the field life. How much did uh, Trevor sort of come in and change things at, at Wednesday? First as a player and and then as a manager. Well, he didn't change things radically. He just he just subtly, you know, went about things. And you watched him, you know, when he when he was just warming up, when he was when he was eating, when he was, you know, having half a glass of wine, whatever whatever it may be. You 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 watched Trevor. He 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 didn't he didn't preach to you at all. You know, he never said you should be doing this. You should look after yourself. You should be doing this, that, and the other. You know, don't do this. But you just watched him. He led by example all the time. 
And then when he went on the pitch, he did exactly the same. You know, he, he led by example. So, you know, there's nothing you can pin down, really. It's his whole, you know, his um, generic way of, of, of life and, and professional life that, you know, you, you picked up on things. And I think he did that to most people. Fantastic. Uh, two places left then. Uh, <coughs> I, I I must admit, I had three in mind for, for your front three and... and... Trevor wasn't necessarily one of them, which perhaps shows my age a little bit. But let, let's see your your last two. There's some big names missing out here, Danny. Well, there is. There's some very big names. But uh, you can't have seven strikers, can you? <laughs> you want to give him a chance of two or three. So, um, well, I think from 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 where I am at the moment in time, um, it's a very, very, very difficult one because both are crowd pleasers. Trevor might have got one of the places of one of these two um, for reasons, again, that, uh, that I've tried to explain. Um, the one that just misses out is uh, Paolo Di Canio. And Paolo was a, was an absolute maverick, as we all know. He was he was absolutely brilliant. A game changer, um, quite honestly. You know, he could do something out of the blue, um, you know, to win games. And, and, and the fans loved him. His tricks and his, you know, his antics and this, that and the other. Um, he could quite easily have got in there. But instead, I went for Chrissy Waddle and um, in, a, in, a, in a three up the front. And because I think Chrissy Waddle in himself, again, played at that, at that uh, the highest level he possibly can in World Cups, etc. Um, but what a, what a player, what a, what a magician with a ball. You know, um, so his gait, you know, you wouldn't have thought he could walk down the road straight, never mind playing a football field at times. <laughs> but he was an absolute genius. And... Uh, you could give him the ball, and a little bit like John Robertson when, when, um, when he was at Nottingham Forest, and, and Brian Clough used to say, "If you want to rest, give Robbo the ball." And and we used to do the same with Wads. You know, just give him the ball; he'll look after it for a little while while you have a breather, and give it you back or create something or score goals or whatever it may be. But um, yeah, so so Christy just gets the edge on that on that particular place. Where, where does Chris Waddle stand in terms of the the best players that you you ever played with? Yeah, he's got to be up there without, without a doubt. You know, he's, and I think it won't just be me, but most players, I would think, will, will think the same. You know, it's it's very easy, it's very easy to to pick lads who can run up and down and get the odd goal, but he could do everything. You know, and um, when he get the, when he gave Chris the ball, he was he was absolutely uh, so reliable. Um, if he didn't if he didn't give you back, he'd have created something for somebody else. You know, it's, he was a very very um, creative start. Uh, type of player, no matter what position of the, the pitch he was in. You put him at left-back, you try and beat somebody, or you try and find a pass from, from them positions. Um, but he was a very good player, very, very good player. And and again, you know, he, he was one of these who went to, another who wasn't a shrinking violet. Although you think you'd go and whack him if you were a full-back, you know, you, you'd find it difficult for to, to put him in a corner and not and him not want to come out. He would get at you every time. You know, he was a very, very brave player. Well, while we're on that question... <clears throat> Obviously, you had a, a great career at other clubs as well, and, and managed some uh, a lot of uh, certainly a lot of games as uh, as a manager. Who else would you put up there in terms of the the best players that you've worked with, either as a player or a manager? Well, you see, I always find this this question so difficult to to pin down, simply because there's every position has its own qualities, and every position has its own. Stars, if you like, and and a, and a centre back can be as important in your team as the one that's scoring. People won't recognise that, but it's true. You know, you, if you want to play in a certain manner, then every every little position that you've got that's in that eleven, if you like, 
um, as a role to play, and they can all be top quality. So to say who's the best, I, I really, really wouldn't like to say. Um, I've had some great players, like like you say, Trevor Francis, as you as as you, you touched on with her. I played with Ian Boyer at um, and Nottingham Forest. Um, John Robertson, I, put, I touched on before. Some some real, real, real top top players. You know, I went to Luton and, and Ricky Hill was there. Ricky was a, an England international, as you well know. Mal Donaghy was a, a, a there and a, and a terrific, terrific player. Um, so yeah, there was there was there's lots of, of of different differentials that you can you can say why he was a great player. So um, I won't I won't leave that one with you. But um, there's, there's there's just too many to, to talk about. Great stuff. One place remaining. I've got a rough idea who it might be. Who's your uh, who's your striker? Paul Warhurst. Paul Warhurst. <laughs> 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 hey, it could have been. You know, it, it hey, could well have been. But yeah, go on. He's close as well. Yeah. Paul Warhurst. He transformed himself, didn't he, under Trevor? You know, to from somebody from a centre back. And sticking him up front because you had no strikers, and then didn't want to go back as a centre back because he's scoring <laughs> all these goals. It, it, incredible, incredible transformation. And um, for that little period that Paul was up front and, and played for us, he was he was untouchable. You know, you, you just couldn't mark him. He was so quick, an eye for goal. You know, and 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 strong. You know, but um, he just got pipped a bit, but and, and we obviously <laughs> know who it is. It's, it's Hursty, David Hurst, the best centre forward I played with, I think. Yeah, I mean, there's again sort of going back. I remember there's that Bobby Robson quote, isn't there, about David Hurst? Not not who replaces Gary Lineker, who's going to partner David Hurst? Obviously, injuries yeah. perhaps got in the way. I mean, if you remember anything of a of a young David Hurst, those comparisons with Alan Shearer, all the rest of it. I mean, how good could he have been? It was obviously incredible. You know, one of the the best players to pull on a Wednesday shirt. But just how good could David Hurst have been? Well, I think the only thing, you know, that you could really separate David Hurst and Alan Shearer was at that time was I think Hurst had better better pace. Yeah, yeah, it was quicker. Um they both had the same, they had everything, they had pace, they had power, they could both they both had good feet, cannonballs in, in both feet, you know, you've seen both of them score, you know, thunderbolts in, in, in their in their careers. Um I think with um Maybe with with Alan with Alan Shearer, he was more of a target man where he, he could link balls back again, you know, and um, and, and play a different role to Hurst. Uh, like to get on off the back of defenders' shoulders and and power his, his way in there. Put the ball in the box. Both of them would get again. They could attack balls and score with their head. You know, Alan Shearer possibly maybe had the edge there with it with his heading ability. So um, you know, you, you you've compared an absolute legend and one of the top strikers we've ever seen in our country with Hursty and rightly said he was he would have been up there with him had he not had the, the injuries that he got so um, I felt really really sorry for David because I think he his, his career was curtailed a bit he didn't really meet, match the heights that everybody expected him to do and, and that's down to injuries How many of these guys are you sort of still in contact with am, am I right in saying you're still sort of based local-ish yeah, I'm, I'm in Derbyshire, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I still see quite a few of the lads who knock around, they play um they play golf, which is an old man's sport now, like we we all have to take up, don't we? Um so yeah, I've seen I've seen I've seen I've seen Chrissy Woods, I've seen Viv all the time. Uh, we we always we always meet up. Uh Chrissy Waddle and, and Hersey again on the on the circuit. 
Um, so quite a lot of the boys, yeah, we, you know, like I said, so yes, see Kingy when, when we were down in, uh, in Swindon and, and that's how you see a lot of the lads in, cause it, they don't all live in the same area now. They, they move around the country and, and we play lots of golf, uh, charity games up and down the country and we're always bumping into everybody and everybody. So, uh, so yeah, we should, we still have a, we still have contact. Fantastic. Uh, we're going to touch on maybe one or two of the, the players that have missed out. I, I'm aware, obviously, you're on the promo trail. We spoke about it before. You'll have been asked this question an awful lot, but I'm afraid I'm going to dip in again, Danny. Uh, Paolo Di Canio, obviously, your time as manager coincided with the end of his time at Wednesday. It's a, it's a big talking point and remains a big talking point among Wednesday fans. Do you, do you have any regrets over how that was handled? <clears throat> well, of course we'll have regrets because we didn't... We didn't um continue with a top top quality of player that we wanted you know he was sold at a, at a at a very very poor price in my opinion but that was off the back of everything that happened before that um you know there's there's one thing that that will never go away is, is the reason why he was sent off you know he was sent off because he put his hands on the referee pathetic the way the referee went down i'll say that now you know but at the same time it did happen and you can't raise your hands um i thought the the punishment was very harsh um, but that one, but that led to one or two other things that was out of our hands. We we couldn't cope with, um, you know, we we couldn't we couldn't have a situation where, you know, we could get him back in the country. Paolo, you know, he, he had um, he had uh, medical records as to why he couldn't come back in. He was he was uh, um, with in the distress and and under pressure in that respect. Um, so you know, he couldn't force anybody to come back. Um, so yeah, we could have handled it better. Everybody could have handled it better. I could have handled it better. Paolo could have handled it better, you know. So you know, to, as a as a as a as a group of people that were involved in in the, in the situation that, that developed, everybody could look at themselves and say, "Yeah, we could have done better than it." In terms of the division of of labour, when it came to making the decision to ultimately sell Paolo, how much of it was was your decision? How much of it was maybe from above? And and do you feel that your hand was forced, as you say, about? You know how how Paolo handled it himself. Everything everything was from above. There's nothing. You know we don't dictate. Managers don't dictate whether you, whether you get a price for a player or not. That's that's all what's upstairs. That's what's agreed upstairs. And if they say it is, then he's gone. You know that's that's in any walk of life in football. That's not just that's just not not uh, not us. Uh, not managers, in fairness. And and I think the situation that developed with Paolo as well was was a part and parcel of the decision why it was made. But one thing I can't understand really was a, was a fee. You know, we had a, there was an agreement, allegedly an agreement that, that the Premier League wouldn't wouldn't touch him. You know, wouldn't uh, because of what he'd done. But listen, listen, when he come when a player of that calibre becomes available at a price that he was he was sold at, it's funny that there weren't ten clubs that were after him, and there, and there might well have been. You know, who knows? I don't know. Yet you know, I think that's something that you'd have to ask Paolo is how many clubs he had a choice of at that time. Um, to go to because I think it was 1.75 I think it was 1.25 I can't remember exactly the figure you know against uh, um, I presume uh, a, a price tag that should have been more around the 7 or 8 million pound mark you know the 5 five million to 8 million pound you know so um, so somebody's got a bargain there and West Ham you know they got the bargain and they went on to do very very well with them have you have you spoken to Paolo since? What what what's been your relationship since he left the club? Yeah, I mean, how did that conversation go? Quite easily, quite nothing. Yeah. This is football. It's it's professionalism. It's you know you've got to look back again now and and look at Paolo's career. You know, in management, and it, he will see and he'll tell you now how difficult it is. 
You know, you, you don't always get things right. Um, you will have a fallout with people, but it's it's never for too long. You know, it's um, I think it's something that the older you get, you do understand. You know that, that things do happen, and you've got to put it to one side. That's that's all you can do. You can't you can't keep going back to it. Um, this is the first time that I've been touching on it, and it's only simply because the books come out and people want to talk about it. If in an ideal world, I wouldn't talk about it, you know, because it's just, it's gone, it's history, there's nothing you can change. Um, if you could have changed it, yes, you ask the question, would you change it? Yeah, possibly would have, yeah, but that's that's by the by now, it's not been done. Yeah, fascinating. As I say, said it a couple of times, but all these uh, talking points are, are touched upon in, in much more great detail in uh, the book, I Get Knocked Down. Um, Benito Carboni, maybe another one that, that might have been on the fringes. What, what was he like to work with? <coughs> Benito was great. I bumped into Benito um, uh, beginning of uh, the season, I think it was, when uh, when when, Paul, uh, when um, Benito came over to play in a, in a, in a game against a Belgian team. And uh, he was fantastic, absolutely brilliant. You know, and I think, I think Paul, I'm sorry, I think that um, Benito himself will say he made mistakes, you know, when he was at the club. You know, but but as I said, it's, it's it's water under the bridge now. It's gone. You know, he's um, again another uh, another fantastic player with with immense ability. Um, you know, but you need a team. You need a team that that's going to be able to to help these lads. You know, produce these these moments of magic week in week out. You know, and um, and unfortunately, I don't think we had that. You know, as a as a squad when uh, when we were there. So one or two things happen and one or two players get disillusioned and they want to leave and and that's the way football goes great stuff fascinating talking to you danny i'll run you through your one to eleven manager ron atkinson chris woods in goal roland nilsson viv anderson and nigel pearson in uh, in that center half nigel worthington left back midfield three of carlton palmer john sheridan and vim yonk and then that front three trevor francis David Hurst and Chris Waddle. It's not a bad side, is it, that? I think we might win one or two games. <laughs> Great stuff. Again, thank you very much for joining us, Danny. I won't touch on the uh, the Sheffield United stuff. I'll leave that for the lads on the other side of the desk at the start to, uh, <laughs> to get in contact with you with. As I said a number of times, I get knocked down. The, uh, the story of Danny Wilson is available in all good bookshops, wherever you get your books these days. Uh, fascinating read. And as I said, a lot more detail in there on the stuff that we've touched on. Danny, thank you very much for joining us on the Star Hours podcast. You're welcome.